Grab your Bibles, if you will. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version today. If you're watching online, I hope you grab your Bible, get a pen, get a notebook, get ready to receive from the Lord today. Don't be moving around. Um, but just get still and, and settled in and re- get, ready to re- let, get ready to let God speak into your life and in your spirit today. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. If you're there, would you say amen? It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. We have been in a series entitled, The Privilege of His Presence. Last week, we spent some time, and I spent some time thoroughly embarrassing myself, talking about why we sing and why we have music and and why we put these things together in our worship service. Uh, As of yet, I have not made it on YouTube. This is a good thing. Uh, But lots of fun uh, we had. But but we, we, we discovered how that music engages our emotions. It engages our emotions. So we hear songs and it causes, to, causes us or helps us to feel certain emotions. You might hear a song and it causes you to feel love. But we, we must combine that with words because it's the words that communicate or direct that emotion. So we feel an emotion of love, but when we put words to it, it directs that love towards God. And so we put them together in our worship service. Then we closed by... Looking at the story of Jesus and the devil when the devil was trying to tempt him. And in his final temptation, he brought Jesus up on top of the hill and he looked over all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all this can be yours if you'll just bow down and worship me. But Jesus refused. He said, and he quoted scripture and he said, I can only worship God. I can only worship my father. To no one else can I bow my knee. I can't do it to anyone else, only to my Father. And when he did this, when he got his worship right, something incredible happened. The devil fled. The devil fled. The devil left. Here's the deal. If Jesus, the very Son of God, God himself, a part of the Godhead, the triunion of the Godhead, if he has to worship God the Father, then you know what? How much more so you and I. And when we do, when we get our worship right, if the devil is trying to oppress you, to distress you, to tempt you, to beat you down, if you'll get your worship directed in the right place, the devil has to flee from you. He has to flee. So I want to continue in this thought today, in this vein, and I want to talk to you about the warfare of worship. The warfare of worship. As we conclude this series today, I hope that you've enjoyed it, but uh, I am enjoying being in the presence of God, understanding the privilege that we have to be in His presence. But today, I want to talk to you about warfare, 
Sometimes it's fun to be in the presence of God, but sometimes we've got battles going on and we need some weapons to use against the enemy. One of those weapons is the weapon of worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence that we feel here today. Lord, I believe that I am on assignment today to, de to deliver a word to people in this house, to people that are watching on the internet right now. Lord, they need to hear from you. Today is their day. You're going to shift things and change things and rearrange things. You're going to conquer some enemies and defeat some, some devils, Father, that have been trying to beat us up for a long time. Today is a day of victory. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts, our spirits, our minds to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Do something great in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look at the setting as we walk through this 20th chapter of 2 Chronicles. We study uh, the, what's happening with Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. We're talking about just the southern kingdoms. Uh, at this point, the children of Israel divided into two kingdoms. The northern tribes are the tribes of Israel, and the southern tribes are the tribes of Judah. You'll remember before David came along, that they were, they were separate, but David became king over all of Israel and combined them. But after David died, uh, we got into battle with each other again, and, the, and our kingdom divided. So when I say Judah, there were just a couple of tribes here that we're talking about, not the all 12 tribes of Israel. That is important because when you separate out all, all of the northern tribes, it reduces the size of the kingdom that we're talking about. And so now when, when we pick up in this story, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and who the Bible calls the Meonites or the people of Seir, of Mount Seir, they have combined forces and have come to fight Jehoshaphat. They've come to fight the people of Judah, the people of God. They are ready to make war. And Jehoshaphat, because of the size of his army, compared to the size and the magnitude of the armies he's facing, he realizes that he, his nation is facing, facing extinction right now. On top of that, the Bible says that they are coming for him specifically. So not only is he looking at everything, the nation as he's known it being different, but he's looking at the end of his life. Because you see, he could fight one battle. He's just been fighting battles in, just before this, in the chapter before. It was not like he was weak. It, not, it was not like he was broken down and couldn't fight anybody. They had a good army. But when you understand that, that the enemies had teamed up on him and were hitting him from every side to the point at which he didn't feel like he could get out. He could not survive. I don't know if you've ever felt this way where, you know, I, I can handle fighting the devil in one area of my life, maybe even two. But when he comes at me in every single area, it feels like I'm about to be overwhelmed. This is what's happening. The enemy is ganging up on Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. This looks like the end. It looks like tomorrow everything is going to end. Everything is going to be over with. Everything is going to be, his life is going to be over. His kingdom is going to be gone. I, I don't know if you've ever gotten a report similar to the one Jehoshaphat has gotten. 
Maybe it's a medical report that says you only have a certain amount of time to live. Maybe you've gotten a report that your marriage is doomed to the point of no return. Maybe you've gotten a report that your teenager has said he'll never live for God, never worship the Lord again. Maybe you, your bank told you that they were about to repossess your home and there was nothing that you could do about it. Maybe you've been told that your business couldn't make it one more week or one more month. Whatever the report may be for you, have you ever been in the place where it appears that your future is bleak and something is about to die? There seems to be no way out. The enemy is surrounding you. He's ganging up on you. Can you relate to the news that Jehoshaphat just got? If you, have, if you can't relate today, that's okay. Hide these words in your heart because the day may come when you'll need them. And you'll need to know what Jehoshaphat did to get out of this situation and how he conquered. Let's take a look at his response. Verse 3. I want you to notice the first thing we see about Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat feared. He did not fear the Lord. He was just scared. This was not about, uh, you know, the fear of the Lord came upon him and all that. No, 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 no. He's just scared. He recognizes that These guys are coming to kill me, and without a miracle, I'm dead. I am as good as dead. I am scared for my life. Here's what you need to understand. Fear, in and of itself, is not a bad thing. It's not. A few years ago, you may have heard me tell the story of how I was with my father, another member of our church, and a pastor friend of ours, and we were riding horses up in Oregon, and we're riding through the mountains, and what ended up happening, we're, we're 11, 12 miles back in the wilderness, and our pack mule dies. He just lays over in the middle of the night, colics, and dies. So that means that one of the horses, one of the riding horses, has become the pack horse, and, we, and one of us has to walk out. So my father works, walks the first four miles, and I walk the last seven miles out uh, of the mountains. Now, the plan is, I took off ahead of them, and they were supposed to catch me. Well, I don't know what they were doing back there, but they never caught me. And nobody else got their turn to walk. So I'm just walking just out in the wilderness by myself, walking these little switchback trails that are about this wide going around these mountains. I had taken my pistol off because we're in bear country, so you always carry a gun with you. And I had taken my pistol off because it was weighing my pants down and I kept tired of picking it up all the time. So I took my pistol off and left it with the horses. All I have is my buck knife that my grandfather gave me, my deer skinning knife, when, when he died. Uh, a few years ago. So that, all I've got is this, this little knife, this little, in, in, you know, in my deal. I'm walking along, no big deal, minding my own business, enjoying the, the grandeur and the, and the beauty of these mountains. It was absolutely incredible. I come around the, the curve, the face of this mountain that's dropping way off, and then it slopes down, and, and I come into a stand of ash trees, and I look up, and as, I, as I'm walking through this stand of trees, There are bear claw marks way up the tree where the bear reaches up and scratches the tree and marks the tree to mark his territory. Chills went down my spine. (laughs) Suddenly, all the stories about bears became very, very real in my life. No problem. I'm a big boy. I have my buck knife. So I continue walking. About 30 yards further, I will come out of this stand of trees into a little clearing that slopes down, and the switchback comes back, and about 40 yards or so down the mountain, at the bottom of the switchback where I have to walk, to my great dismay, this black, furry sucker has got his head in the trees. 
and there's these bushes, and they're just throwing these bushes back and forth. I'm thinking of the bear claw marks, right? This is, this is not 30 seconds later. I, this is it. It's over. I hit the ground. I grab my buck knife, and I start easing out of there. My heart is beating like crazy. My mouth goes dry. I'm looking around and saying, where are those guys? What are they doing? Like, it was never a big deal, and now suddenly it is a big deal. Where are they? But, I, you know, I'm looking for a tree to climb, and so I'm easing back into the woods and trying to see, make sure he doesn't see me or smell me or hear me, and I'm just moving, and I'm going, <laughs> and suddenly this joker, he, he lifts his head up, and he turns up the hill, and he looks at me, and he makes a sound. It sounded like this. Moo. <laughs> it was a cow. <laughs> what is a cow doing 10 miles back in the wilderness? There are no ranches. There are no, there are no, what are you doing back here other than just sit here to scare the fire out of me? And I put my knife back up. Get out of here, cow. But you know, here's the thing. If you're walking through the woods and you see a bear, fear in that moment is a good thing. Because the fear says to you, if you don't have a gun, run. (laughs) If you're walking with someone else, don't worry about being faster than the bear. Just outrun them. That's all you got to do. Just outrun your neighbor. That's it. You see, fear in its proper form, God put in us to help us when we get into situations to recognize something's wrong, I need to do something. But you know, we don't like to face facts as Christians, as believers, as men and women of God, of faith. We don't like to face the facts. We don't like to face reality. Something terrible happens. I get a phone call. Your wife just got into a car accident. She's in ICU. I call you up. Hey, how you doing? I heard about your wife. I'm coming. I'm praying for you. Tell me what's going on. Oh, I'm just blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Everything is going well. We have no problems, Pastor. God is is good to us, and there's nothing to worry about. Man, your wife is in ICU. Like, I know everything's going to be okay. God's going to be with you. But let's not act like everything is okay right at this moment and there's not a problem going on. But we can't, we, we feel like if we, if we have fear or if we, if we state the facts of what's happening, that that dilutes our faith and causes us to be where, well, God can't come through for us. If I tell you how I'm really feeling, then that would, that would mean I'm not having faith. No, no, no. You have to understand something. Fear does not cause you uh, to be disqualified as a person of faith or as a person who's about to receive a victory. Recognizing the gravity of the moment is an important step in the process. Because when you recognize the gravity of what's going on, and I call you or a pastor calls you and says, Hey, what's happening? When you tell us what's going on, now we know how to pray. I've talked to some of you. And you say, everything is great. And I say, great. There's nothing to pray for. And I hang up the phone. And then the next thing I know, your world has fallen down. And I say, why didn't you tell me? 
I would have liked to have prayed with you. I would have liked to have fasted with you or stood with you. Our, our prayer partners would have put your name on the board and lifted your name up in prayer in your situation. We could have gotten together as a family and stood with you, but you didn't want to tell us. It's okay, as Jehoshaphat was, to be scared every now and then. But the question is, what do we do with the fear? Because fear should help us to recognize something's wrong, but now, what are we going to do? Jehoshaphat did the right thing. In verse 3, Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Yes, he was, dis- he was scared. Watch this verse. Jehoshaphat feared, but that's not the end of the story. And he set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast. Yes, he was scared. You would be scared if somebody, if three armies were outside your wall said, we're coming to kill you. You would be scared. It's okay. And he set himself to, fear, to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast and decided to do something about it. Fear is not bad unless it puts you in a place where you can't move, you can't think, you can't respond to anyone else, you can't respond to God, you can't pray, you won't do anything with it. Now fear has become a bad thing. But Jehoshaphat didn't allow fear to get to that place. He's, yeah, I'm scared and I'm setting my face to worship God. Yeah, pastor, things are not looking good. And I'm setting my face to seek the Lord. And I'm praying And I'm asking people to pray with me. And I'm fasting and seeking the Lord. And God is going to come through for me. We need an and in there. So here's what they do. Why did he call a fast? He calls a fast because he wanted to put some pressure on God. He called a fast throughout all Judah because Jehoshaphat recognizes that this is a spiritual battle. I don't have enough armies to win this battle. My natural army will do me no good. I better fight this thing with some spiritual weapons. So he begins to fast. They come together. They begin to pray. They're having a Holy Ghost church service right now. In verse 4, So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. They prayed. Jehoshaphat stood, and and they're praying. And watch what happens in verse 6. Jehoshaphat is leading this prayer. Here's what he says. O Lord! God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Watch what he does. When he prays, the first thing Jehoshaphat does is he gets a recognition of who God is. I am not praying to a stone idol here. I am not praying to Baal or Buddha or, or, or Allah or Hindu gods or anybody else. Listen, God, you're the God that is living. You're the real God, the true God, the Elohim, the Jehovah. You're, you're, you're Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi. You're, you're Jehovah Shalom. You are Jehovah God. You're the God that created the heavens and the earth. God, I want you to understand, God, I know who I'm praying to. You have all the power and all the might in your hand. I wonder if at times, who, if we forget who we're approaching. God, I've got this situation going on, and I don't know if you can do anything about it. Well, son, I created the heavens and the earth. I made you. But no, I can't do anything about this little problem. You're right. I'm not big enough. 
do we forget who it is that we're approaching? We are approaching the Almighty. We are approaching the God that has power and might and no one can withstand him. We're approaching the God that rules over all the kingdoms of this world. Jehoshaphat got it right. I know who I'm approaching. Let let me just make sure, God, that you know that I know who you are. I know you know who you are, God, but I want to make sure that you know that I know who you are. Here's the second thing he does. Now that he realizes and recognizes who's he's appro- who he's approaching, here's what he says in verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. Saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword and judgment, pestilence or famine... We will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Here's what he said. First, God, I know who you are. You're the almighty. But let me take it a step further. God, you are my God. I don't serve any other. I don't serve any gods of the people around us. I don't serve idols. I, I, I don't serve stone gods or gods made of gold or gods that some one other man invented. No, no, no. I don't serve the sun god or the moon god or, or, or the devil. No, no. God, I serve you. As a matter of fact, God, we created this temple. And it doesn't say Buddha on the name. It says your name. It says Christ. It says God. It says Jehovah. So I want you just to remind you, God, that I... I serve you. And at some point in our life, it can't just be about the WWJD sticker on the back of our car. It's got to be about who do we serve. It's not just about do you go to church? Who do you serve? It's not just about do you work in the nursery or as an usher? Who do you serve with your life and with your heart? Do you serve God? Jehoshaphat said, I'm reminding you, God. I'm reminding you that I know who you are. And I'm reminding you that I serve you. That the people of Judah serve you. Do you serve the Lord? Very important part of the process. It's more than a theological statement. It brings a distinction. I serve the Lord. There are a lot of so-called Christians in this nation. But God, it's not about a title. I serve you. I serve you. Because here's the kicker. If you don't serve him... It may not do you any good, but when you serve him, we have the right as sons and daughters and heirs to ask him to intervene in our life. You have the right. When you serve him, when you're a son and daughter of God, you have the right to ask him to intervene. So go with confidence, knowing that God is able and that your God is able. Then we see something else. Uh, Jehoshaphat reminds him, listen, God, here's what you've done. You, you drove the, the inhabitants of this land out before your people. And, and you allowed us to build this. And you said, and you, if anything came against us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, all we had to do was stand before you in your presence, call out to you. You would hear us and save us. God, you've done it time and 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 time again. So here's what he did. Jehoshaphat drew on God's History of faithfulness to build his faith. 
God, you have a history of coming through for us. You have a history of being there when we needed you. You have a history of hearing us and saving us. Your word says you would. Your promise says you would, and you have. So, God, we're standing here today again, reminding you of your history and allowing what you've done for us in the past to build our faith for what you're going to do for us in the future. This is why God says to us over and over and over again through the word, remember, 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 remember. Because when we remember what God has done, it reminds us of what he can and will do in our lives it builds our faith God you've done it before you do it again I'm in trouble again God but I know you're a God that can get me out of it Uh, the devil's coming against me but I know God that you're going to give me the victory you're going to walk me through we appeal to our history we look at the way God acts and deals and responds and we make up our minds did that really happen is it true oh yeah it happened it's true The Bible is full of things. This is your history right here. You say, well, Pastor, I had been living long enough for God to have a history with me. Here it is right here. As a believer, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, here is your history of the things that God has done for generations and thousands of years. He has come through, and he'll come through for you. So build your faith. I know the the, the kind of God I'm dealing with. He's trustworthy, and he is dependent. He's dependable. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He is my God. Verse 13, I want to show you something very cool here. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. This is a powerful scripture. It reflects the heart of this church that worship and coming into the house of God should be a family culture. We come to worship together. It's why last week we brought our kids in here and we worshiped with our kids sitting right next to us. Because it's not just about a husband worshiping or a wife worshiping or a kid worshiping. No, no, no. It's about families coming together and presenting themselves before the Lord and saying, God, we're here to worship you. And when our kids, the Bible says their children and their little ones... Even from the time their babies need to be able to look at you and see you worshiping the Lord. I'm lifting up my hands. I'm worshiping God. I'm singing his praises. It's an important part of the culture here at Triumph. And I hope it's a part of your family culture. Verse 14, the Holy Ghost shows up. We went from just a good prayer meeting. Things were going nice. The kids were there. The king was there. Everything was going, everything was in order, and, and, the, and the Holy Ghost shows up. Watch what he says in verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Now, when the Bible says in the Old Testament, remember in our, in our series about the Holy Spirit just a couple of months ago, we discovered that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. It was poured out for me and for you. It's, he, he's, he's readily available. He is a free gift to all. But in the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. The Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. So he would come upon a man. He would show up. He, 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 would, he, would, he would come up. So that's what happens right here. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that you and I know and understand, comes upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of uh, Madaniah, a Levite. I can't read it that far. A Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. He comes upon him. The Holy Ghost shows up and everything changes. The atmosphere changes. The presence of God is here now. He begins to prophesy. Why does the Bible give us all this list of lineology, uh, his lineage here? 
He gives us this list because he wants us to know that this was not just some crazy guy from out in the woods. But God chose to use a man that was the son, was a prophet, who was the son of 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 a Levite. This, this was a guy that had a history of God speaking through not only him, but through his fathers. He had a history of God using him and his fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers to deliver a word to Israel. Because this is a strong word that he's about to deliver. It comes upon him. Verse 15. And he said, listen all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not need to fight in this battle. All you need to do is position yourselves and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Here's what he said. Listen, guys. Don't be afraid. That your fear that you're feeling, it's a good thing. It brought you to God. But now you don't have to feel it anymore because God is with you. And he's ready to fight for you. Don't be dismayed. This Hebrew word dismayed here means uh, to be chopped down, to be cut down, to be broken down or beaten down. Hey, don't be chopped down. Don't be messed up. Don't be knocked over. Don't, don't feel like your foundation is cut out from underneath you. No, 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 no. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. God is with you. For the battle is not yours, but the battle is the Lord's. It's a spiritual battle. Jehoshaphat got this thing right. Jehoshaphat realized early on, this is not a natural battle. This is a spiritual battle. He got it right. And, and now God is speaking to them. He gives them instructions. Tomorrow, go down against them. You've got to go out there and you've got to face them. You do. You've got to walk out there and you've got to have enough faith in me to step out and go and face them. That's what he said. But here's what he says next. He tells them right where they're going to be. He said, I want you to go. They're going to be right here by the end of this brook, at the end of the wilderness. They're going to be right there. You're going to go out and face them, but you don't need to fight. You don't need to fight. Okay, God, so we're going to go to battle. We're going to face them, but we're not going to fight. No. This sounds a little crazy. Let me remind you, God... Three armies, they, some of them came across the sea specifically to destroy us. There are multitudes of them. We're going to go stand up before them, in rank, stand there, smile big. And because our teeth are nice and white, they're just going to turn away. No. Just go stand before them. Position yourselves. You don't need to fight. Okay, God, well, what do we need to do? He just said position himself. That's all he said. Position yourself. How do we position ourselves? Position yourself. Thanks, Lord. <laughs> you ever felt like the Lord left you like one step short of the solution? <laughs> oh, 
okay, <laughs> we're going to position ourselves, God, but uh, <laughs> can you give me like a little bit? Can, we, can I get that in the Hebrew? Can I get that in the Greek? Can I, can I get a different version? Can I, can I get an interpretation? No, 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 just position yourself. Okay. So we're going to position ourselves. But they said, you don't need to fight this battle. You're going to win. God is for you. You know, when, in this moment, when God is speaking this, and, and he's speaking through the prophet, and he's saying, you don't have to fight. You know they must have shouted. You don't have to fight. Whoa! Yes! God's for us. We're going to live. Hallelujah. Somebody was dancing in the aisle. Somebody fell out under the Holy Ghost over here. Somebody knocked a pew over. Somebody took a lap around the church. I mean, it is happening right now. Y'all don't know about that. <laughs> Position yourself. You don't have to fight. Just get on the Lord's side. You just got to get some instructions. Just, just walk out there. You see, here's the thing. We often think that God is love. How many think God is love? You would be correct. Then we think God is peace. He's a God of peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Prince of Peace, you would be correct. We think uh, God is gentle and kind, you would all be correct. But you know what else? God is also a God that is ready for battle. Yes, he is love and peace and gentle and kindness and goodness, but he is the general, the commander-in-chief of the greatest army in the universe. And he's ready to go to war. And here's what he has at stake. He has a kingdom at stake. He has sons and daughters and a people at stake. And he's not going to just sit by and let nothing happen. All we have to do is say, God, we need you. You're our God. Remember, you, you know all the armies you have working for you, God? You know that you're the God of the universe. You're the God of everything. You have power and might and all that. Yes, I serve you. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Hey, we need them now. Yes, sir. And God stands to attention and he puts his sword on, and he grabs his angels and he grabs and he gets ready to fight a spiritual battle. God is a God of war. And here's the good thing. He said, you, you just stand right there. You don't need to get your hands dirty. You don't, even need, you don't even need to sharpen your sword. Don't even pull your gun out. No, no, no. I got this for you. You just stand right there. You, you just keep doing what you're doing. I got this. It's a spiritual battle. And these people are worshiping. They fall down on their face. They hear this word in verse 18 and 19. They worship Jehoshaphat. That bows down on his face. And the people bow down. And they're worshiping God. The Levites are worshiping. They're, they're singing and praising both high and loud. They are, I mean, they are having a move of God. This is what we, we used to call a high church. Y'all know about high church? We had high church today. I mean, this, is, this God is moving. This is a great revival service, singing and worshiping, giving thanks to God. The preacher was on fire. The prophet was speaking. The worship team was, was knocking it out of the park today. And I don't know about you, but I've faced a few situations like this in my life. And I went to church, and I went to service, and I got in the presence of God, and a word came forth, and I felt ready to take on the world. I felt good. God had spoken. I'm ready to go. and I'm ready to do this thing. God said, you don't have to fight. I'm going to fight for you. You just got to position yourself. Just go out there. I'm going to take care of it all. And we were saying, yes. And we go home, and we go down to lay our head down to sleep, and we wake up the next morning, and there's no pastor, and no worship team, and no prophet, and, and no pastors and elders, and nobody standing around us to pray with us. The anointing seems to be gone. The revival spirit 
spirit is gone, but the enemy is still facing us. And you think to yourself about what God told you to do, and you say, that's just a silly idea, God. Think about it. Everything is good when they're in the presence of God, under the anointing, when they're, when they're worshiping. But suddenly they wake up the next morning, and the, and the Ammonites are still out there ready to take their head off. Have you ever felt that before? It was good last night. Boy, when the preacher was preaching, you felt faith rising up. You felt strong. You felt good. You were pumped up. You were ready. And the next morning, the fear came back on. And you thought, did I lose my mind last night? Because this is not a good idea. So they come back together. And the king stands up in verse 20. They arose early the next morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. And you shall be established. And watch this. He's going to prophesy right now. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. I don't remember God ever saying anything about prospering in that word he spoke to the prophet. But Jehoshaphat stands up and says, man, I know my God. And when we follow after him, when we keep his word, when we do what he says, you're going to prosper. He's going to keep you. When you believe in him, when you believe in the prophets, when you believe in the word, and you go and do what he says, when you are obedient. I remember in Deuteronomy chapter 28 when God spoke to Moses and said, if you obey my commands, and he went on to a list, verse after verse, of all the blessings that were going to come upon us, that were going to overtake us. So he said, he's going to prosper you. So then what he says in verse 21, he does something very unkingly. And when he had consulted with the people, he stands before the people. He says, okay, guys, God gave us a strategy. Here's what it is. Position yourselves. Anybody got an interpretation? Somebody said, well, king, back here in the back, who are you? I'm a nobody, but I got an idea. All right, let's hear it because nobody else is speaking up. King says, what do you think? Should, 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 we, should we position all our foot soldiers in the front? We know where they're going to be, so maybe we should get ready and lay wait for them, and, and we'll bring our cavalry along the side with, with the chariots, and on this other side we'll have, in, 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 the, in the brush, we'll have our archers ready, and at dawn we'll sound the alarm, and we'll, and we'll all be positioned and ready to go. No, 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 King, I don't think that's the position that God is talking about. I don't think that's what God wants us to do, King. I, I have an idea. Who are you? I, I'm, just a, I'm just a farmer. I live outside the walls of Jerusalem. I, I raise some corn, but I have an idea. King, yesterday, we heard from God when we were worshiping and when we were in the presence of God. I don't feel him a lot right now. Do you, King? No, I don't. Son, I, I, he just said to position herself, so that's what we're doing. King, this is what I think we should do. I think we should put the worshipers out front. King, let's put the army in the back because we know this is a spiritual battle. We know the army is going to do us no good. They're just going to get defeated. Let's put the worshipers out front. And let's just walk towards where they're going to be. And let's just sing and worship. Because the position that we were in when God spoke was a position of worship 
of gratitude, of prayer, of praise. Let's get back there. Because we felt God there. And I don't feel God when we start talking about putting the armies up. So, so let's get back there. Watch what happens. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of, the, of holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. This is a crazy idea. Who goes into battle singing Ancient of Days? No, not a good plan. Not a good strategy. And yet, this was the plan. Jehoshaphat said, I don't know who you are, but I like it. Let's go with it. So he positions them. Those who are singing, those who are praising. They, they've got the guitar players and, and the worship leaders. I, I imagine when this idea first came out, one of the musicians said, nope, that's a bad plan. <laughs> nope, don't think so. You just volunteered me to walk into a death trap. Nope, don't think so. Somebody got it, though. I don't know who he was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but somebody got it. Believe God. It'll work. He consults the people. The king doesn't have to consult the people, but in this moment he did. I don't know if it was his idea or someone else's. I don't know exactly how that conversation went, but what I do know is they got in position. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Who had come against Judah. And watch this. They were defeated. But the people of Ammon and Moab. Watch how they're defeated. The people of Ammon and Moab. Stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir. To utterly kill and destroy them. So two of them turn on one. Two of the enemies turn on the other one. Why? God confused them. But it goes on. After they got him totally destroyed. They had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir. They helped to destroy one another. So they killed the third one. Then they turned on each other and said, hey, I'm going to kill you. So they killed each other. Watch this. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude. And there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Every, it's a sea of dead bodies. Three armies that they said were multitudes that were way more than the, than the people of Judah could defeat. No, no. There's just a sea of dead bodies. So when Judah, uh, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the, their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. Listen to this. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much Jehoshaphat said believe God believe the prophets we're going to position ourselves God's going to come through for us and we're going to prosper in it what looked like was going to kill us and destroy us and wipe us out don't worry about it you're going to prosper in it three days it took them to gather all of the spoils they returned to Jerusalem and you know what they did they worshipped they went straight to the temple and lifted their hands and worshiped. Now, I want you to think about this. If you were in a battle, 
and I come out of my bunker with my hands raised, what does that say to you? Surrender. Think about this. The armies of Judah are in the back, and there are people lifting their holy hands. Psalmist said, we must lift our holy hands to the Lord. So they're lifting their hands. They're worshiping. Somebody's playing instruments, the cymbals. It's just worship coming through the woods, coming through the wilderness. Just worship, hands raised. And what would appear to be a sign of surrender was actually a surrender to God, not the enemy, and thus a victory over the enemy. They're just worshiping. What a sight it must have been. What are you guys doing? We're going to war. Who in the world are you fighting against? Man, it seems like everybody in the known earth is coming to fight us. What are you doing with your hands raised? Oh, it's a spiritual battle. I've given it to God. I'm just standing and worshiping. I'm just marching and worshiping. I'm just singing. I'm just worshiping. You look crazy. Hey. <laughs> Why are you surrendering? Oh, I'm not surrendering to the, to the enemy. No, 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 no. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in. This is a surrender to God. But what the enemy sees is victory. When, I, when, you're, when, he, when you're coming at the enemy, he sees your hand raised. He doesn't see surrender. He doesn't say, oh, I've won the battle. No, he says, oh, he surrendered to God. The battle is over. I can't win now. And he starts to get confused. And he begins to run. And he begins to flee. And now you have taken into battle a spiritual weapon that makes all the difference in the world. Worship was not just made for a cathedral. Worship was made for the battlefield. Worship was made to take with you. You don't have to wait on all the right instruments to worship. You don't have to wait on the, the people to sing just right. No, no, no. Just worship wherever you are. When, when it seems like you can't go any further, when there is no way out, recognize it's a spiritual battle. I want to worship. Would you lift your hands with me today? Stand if you would. Stand if you would. We, we want to worship. I, 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 I want to worship. Before we do, don't lift your hands just yet. I want to ask you a question. I want every person in this room to close your eyes, bow your head for just a moment. I want you to look inside your own self. Are there situations going on? It seems like it's the end. If you're at home, are there situations going on? There's no way out. The enemy has got you surrounded and defeated. You can't win this one. It's not a natural battle. It's a spiritual battle. Here's the question I want to ask you. He wants to come through for you. That's not the question. The question is this. Is he your God? More than the church you attend. More than the ministry you serve in. Is he the God of your life? Does he rule your heart? Is he your Lord? If he's not, we don't need to go one step further until we get that right. And we can do that in just a moment. If I'm talking to you and you want a second chance, maybe God used to be your God. But if you're really honest with yourself, you know he's not leading you. You're not serving him any further, any longer. You need a second chance. You need a, you need a chance to start over with him. Just lift your hands if you would. I want to pray for you. Yeah, there are hands going up all over this room. If you're watching at home, just lift your hands if that's you. I want everybody in this room to lift your hands with me and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm surrendering to you. You are my God. I will serve you and not another. Forgive me of all of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I worship you. Fill me with your spirit. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's it. He's your God now. 
Now you're a son and an heir of Christ, and you have the right to come to him and ask him for help. Here's what we're going to do. Our pastors and elders are coming. They're making themselves available right now in the altar. If you say, Pastor Rannon, my faith is low. I don't seem to have enough history to draw on. I, I don't have anywhere else to go. We want to pray with you. We want to join our faith with yours. And we're going to end this as we've ended all these services in a time of worship. I'm just going to invite you to lift your hands with me and to worship the Lord.